Hi, and welcome back to season two of the Girls Who Gather podcast, a podcast sharing women's stories from a diverse range of backgrounds and stages of life, highlighting the way they are building community, empowering other women, and walking out their calling. We are so glad you've decided to tune in. Our hope for launching this podcast is to extend the voice of Gather beyond the physical spaces where we meet in our cities, campuses, and apartments. We want to make our content even more accessible to all of you. With an incredible diversity of feminine voices, we want to create a catalog of stories, testimonies, and inspirational content that you and your friends can always return to. We will also be announcing gathered news, updates, and other exciting events coming up on this platform. Stay tuned for more from us as we journey through this next season together. And as you listen, we encourage you to lean in and learn from some truly incredible women. Noelle is a recent alumna from New York University, having completed her BA in Anthropology and Minor Studies in Global Public Health. She currently holds the titles of Communication Coordinator at the Jerusalem Peace Builders, a nonprofit dedicated to peacebuilding that crosses cultures and faiths, both in the U.S. and in the Middle East. And she is the Global Leadership Director right here at Gather and has been with us since the beginning. Throughout her early career, Noelle has cultivated a diversity of experience in areas from team leadership and development, event and program coordinating, nonprofit capacity building, public speaking, dialogue facilitation, as well as social science and public health research. Her current professional interests include exploring innovative sustainable development efforts and overlaps between both the Sub-Saharan, West African, and Black American contexts as part of the global Black diaspora through public health, social justice, advocacy, and environment. A firm believer in practicing what you preach and becoming the work you are pursuing, Noelle maintains a diversity of communities, leadership, and capacities, and ambitions that she brings to the table with us for our discussion today. <laughs> Noelle, we are so excited to have you. <laughs> welcome. A mouthful. Welcome. I love it, you guys. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> One of our own is here. We are so excited. I am. It's just a big party on the screen right now. We're wearing party hats. Nice. So. Yes. Metaphorical party Metaphorical. hats. Metaphorical, yeah. Anyway, Noelle, we're so excited to have you. This is quite the twist. Uh, Noelle and I hosted last season of the podcast, and she is an old pro at podcasts and speaking and asking questions, and now it's her turn to get Uh, interrogated. I'm just kidding. Oh, my. Um, (laughs) So, Noelle, let's just start from the beginning. Talk to us a little bit about your upbringing and how that has influenced the work that you do today. Oh, goodness gracious. Wow. Um, I'm so glad that you are starting with that foundational question because it's <laughs> quite a mouthful. It's quite a brain yeah. uh, buster for me. I've just come from so many different things. Um, my family, we are culturally and genealogically, we are from the DC area. We still are there today. Um, so I grew up in the East Coast sort of climate, went to private school for elementary school growing up. It was a Quaker school. And I mm-hmm. think Looking back now as an adult, a lot of those teachings shaped my very intercultural, introspective sort of way that I am. Um, Went to public school for the back end of of my schooling experience and then went to NYU, of course. And I think as I progressed through each of these life stages, that desire to meet different types of people, Mm -hmm. to keep breaking out of my shell, breaking out of familiar spaces and, and having different kinds of conversations I think part of that for me also was faith Um, Mm. alongside every transition I would make with my family when we moved from DC to Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania to Texas. 
Um, I found my relationship with God deepening, strangely. Um, I found myself wanting to connect to different faith communities. So by the time that I got to school in New York University and I met all of you wonderful humans and, you know, helped to start gather, get it off the ground, I was serving in church. I was digging into theology for myself. I was just doing a lot of different things. Um, and so that's kind of a very, very watered down version of my upbringing. I don't know if y'all had specific questions, but I just, I come from a very diverse background of experiences. Yeah. So. Well, how did that influence what you studied in school? So mm, how did you get great. to anthropology? Because I know it was a bit of a road to get there. That wasn't always your major. So talk True. to us about sort of what influenced you to study what you do. Absolutely. So when I initially started school, I was dedicated to the dream and the idea of being a doctor. Um, I have a lot of doctors in my family. My mom is an anesthesiologist, a pediatric specialty. And I grew up with that medical STEM, you know, work hard, make it big in the end sort of narrative growing up. Um, my mom private schooled in DC, hobnobbed with the Kennedys as a kid. So I just had a very specific mindset growing up. And I thought medicine was my Name only drop. means of success. I mean, <laughs> okay. You know, okay, Jackie, trips, I see you. Came along, girl. The Kennedys, pool parties, you know, the whole thing. So I, I had an expectation for myself that, um, I don't think it was based authentically off of who, for me, I felt God was calling me to be. God called me to be um, someone who connects to people and tries to understand people. And that led me to eventually discovering why I love anthropology. It's a four-fold, four-field discipline. You have the biology, the languages, the cultural, right. um, the historical. And I think for someone like myself who struggles to pin down something and dedicate to building mm -hmm. on that, yeah. Uh, and kind of specializing, it gave me a lot of freedom and yeah. play space to discover for myself yeah. why anthropology is everywhere. So yeah, a lot of variety in that. Yeah. Um, public health, I looped around, I ended up finding ways to connect that medical component through public yeah. health. And it was super liberating in so many different ways that like racial injustice shows up in medicine and public health narratives and exploring how ethnography is so central to social justice work and it was just great. Um, so I think, you know, having all these different experiences and conversations and types of friends over the years led me to be curious what makes humanity tick and what are the things that we have more in common than different. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. Wow. So you are an anthropologist at heart, but tell us a little bit about where you are right now as far as your career. Um, tell me what you've been working on. Yeah. Thanks, Morgan. Um, ah, that's the challenge for me, I guess, as I was wrapping up undergrad last year. Um, like many in the class of 2020, we were thrust into a world that was riddled with COVID all of a sudden. And at first, I'd had more of an academia-leaning uh, application to my anthropology background. I was happy to think about being a professor. Maybe I'd work something out, do research, maybe get a PhD. But I kept feeling like there was a component missing. And I started having conversations with my professor and my mom and, well, professors, I should say, um, other people in my world who had been advocating for my, um, you know, career development and friends even. And they're saying, have you thought about international law and, you know, policymaking and international affairs? And I started thinking back on all my study abroad experiences when I was in Ghana, when I was in France, when I went abroad to Israel for a leadership sort of uh, training program. And I just was like, you know, I think I could do that. And anthropology is all over the place when it comes to international affairs. So right now, 
My focus is, you know, diving into peace building as a branch of that diplomatic relations. What does that look like um, in NGO capacity building, in policy analysis, in, in collaborating between different types of organizations and such? So I would say those are some of the, the areas I'm exploring right now career wise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, go girl. I wish the listeners could see me <laughs> fist pumping right now, but thank you. Yes, as, the, as the political scientist in training, this makes me very excited. Oh, thanks. We love it. Love it. Um, okay, so let's also talk about the other thing you do almost full time. I'm just kidding. Pretty, pretty part time. Uh, <laughs> which is you are the global leadership director at Gather, which fits right yes. in with your skills, talents, and loves. Um, Talk to me a little bit about your experience in helping to found Gather because you've been in it from the get-go. You have been here since the beginning. And yeah, yeah, what was it like for you to be a part of that founding team? And what have you learned from the process of building an organization? Yeah, wow. It's been a journey. It's hard to believe this December it'll be four years already um, that Gather's been in the world and functioning and and serving uh, its purpose. And I think that's what I have connected to you since the beginning, that desire to see community spring up out of what seemed to be a desolate place, right? People so consumed with their own passions and their own lives and trying to figure things out for themselves that they forget there's billions of other people around them trying to do the same thing. Let's Why not connect and have conversations uh, that I think we all can connect to? Um, and so for me, Gather, yes. Again, shout out to our origins, our very first season one, episode one uh, episode that I filmed with Lauren or recorded with Lauren. We talked about that story. Um, I think what I loved from the beginning was that conversation piece, that chain breaking mentality that let's talk about our common struggles as women. And I think that experience in the world is unique. Just being a woman, being a woman in pursuit of something. Um, What are some of the things that we feel hold us back as individuals And then let's connect with women who have faced the same challenges or in the same trenches right now. Um, I started to kind of ask Lauren, like, hey, what if if we talked about this? Or what if we phrased it this way? Or based on my training in anthropology, you know, these are the voices that I don't think are in the room right now. How can we, through our content, uh, shape that? I think also for me, it was cool how we stayed true to our origins, wanting to incorporate text from the Bible that inspired our content. Um, We're not ashamed of and we don't hide the fact that our leadership we are christians we are believers in the god of the bible and again i think that's what makes our story so unique so i've just loved to see women over the years be so involved with gather find their place um it's hard leadership and leading in general is hard no matter what capacity you do it in people go through things you go through things you have to show up you have to show out you have to practice what you preach and be authentic And that word of authenticity, it is a call. It is a challenge. Um, And it takes a lot of humility to admit in the process when you yourself don't live up to your own expectations. So, but I wouldn't trade this for the world gather building. It's just been crazy. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, you've been peace building already in a smaller (laughs) scale. So, you know, um, there we go. So during your undergraduate experience, you were able to study abroad in both Accra right. and Paris. Mm-hmm. So cool. So which you believe influenced your decision to pursue international affairs, public health, foreign service work, and diplomacy. And we'd love to hear a little bit more about your time in Ghana and yeah. how that was life-changing for you, kind of what your life was like there and what you learned. 
Sure. For context, um, I went in the fall of 2019. So I was a senior. Um, that's definitely not the popular decision. I think when you're a senior in college, I'm going to go study abroad away from my friends, away from my campus where I can make all the memories to kind of wrap up this experience. And I just felt in my spirit, in my core, this, this call, I guess, this desire to be abroad. Um, and a lot of my counterparts chose Australia, NYU, Sydney, um, NYU, uh, Paris, right? I'd already been there for a summer. So I just was like, I want something different. And Ghana came to mind. I applied, I go find out it's also the year of return, uh, which for those of you who are not aware, 1619 was exactly 400 years ago from when in 2019, I went to Ghana. And that was marking the, basically the beginning of the Middle Passage, um, the creation, the forceful uh, creation of the Black diaspora globally through the slave trade. And so it was a celebration of people in the Black diaspora returning to the quote-unquote motherland, reconnecting with the soil, reconnecting with the food, the culture, the music, um, and sort of a celebration of global Black culture. And I stumbled into that. I didn't expect that, but it fell in line with where I was in my personal identity journey. Get to Ghana, love my coursework, love my mentors, my teachers, my professors from the University of Ghana. I just threw myself into it. I plugged into Hope City Accra, which was the local church that's part of the C3 movement that I was already familiar with. And I loved just going to church on Sunday and serving and going to dinner parties. And I just, it was one thing after another. And um, I don't know, I just, I felt a lot of joy rising in me. I felt a lot of things breaking off of me. I felt a lot of me coming to light in me. Like I hadn't realized that I could be that happy and that free and that joyful. So there was something about Ghana um, that I needed in my journey. And that taught me about the world that taught me to think outside of a Western lens. Um, a lot of the things that were fed in the media in the international affairs sort of bubble. I think a lot of that, there's a lens that gets put on certain contexts and regions. There's a lot of talk in anthropology about the global South, um, you know, poverty, developing countries, and so for me to actually seek opportunities to break the mold on how I was thinking about other parts of the world, it was really an empowering experience. So that was Ghana. Again, Ghana in a nutshell. There's just so much more I could, <laughs> there's so much more I could expand on. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk to us a little bit, expand on that a little bit more on just yeah. the sort of what you had to do. Cause I was, you know, we've been friends for a while and I was walking with you alongside just over here in this con on this continent. Um, as you were kind of processing what that meant for your own identity to be back in that place and you had um, a couple of pretty like crazy, I think, experiences and just realizations while you were there about who you are as a woman and a black yeah. female and yeah. would love if you could just like touch on some of those things. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for asking, Lauren, about that. Um, it was just a very intimate and personal um, experience, I think. Being sort of choosing for yourself to be in a space that wasn't, for lack of a better term, um, like white America, like growing up in a very specific context, having to code switch aspects of my identity, sort of that inner, um, I guess, compelling, I felt to be something I wasn't to fit a mold tied into that is my decision to become natural. For those of you who don't know what that means, going natural, like wearing your natural curl pattern, not chemically treating your hair. Part of that was embracing my skin, the fact that I have melanin, the fact that I love the sun, how I live, like how I move around in the world. I just 
when I was in places in Ghana, I just was, I shed that awareness of race. Um, when you live under a structure where race just becomes the dominant lens and you go abroad, you also don't realize how much uniquely in the United States, race becomes a way of filter through which a lot of people see the world, a lot of social issues, a lot of economic, political issues. And so to have friends also um, in Ghana that I was uh, creating connections with, speaking to those things, asking me questions and framing them in a way that I wasn't accustomed to hearing and asking me, well, why is that that way in America? Like, now that you're out of that context, what does that mean to you? As a woman, as an African-American woman with this historical background, what does that mean to you? Um, so to have that freedom, I think, to also um, not be afraid to say something wrong or make a mistake or I don't know how to put it. I don't know how to put it. Um, I don't think I had the traditional experience of going back to Africa, if you will, quote unquote. A lot of people might describe it that way. You know, I didn't do the thing where it's like, oh, the, like this place immediately feels like home and everyone looks like me and I can speak the language and this food tastes similar to home. Like, no, Ghana is a different part of the world. It's 6,000 plus miles away. It's a different history that has progressed away from the Middle Passage era. Time didn't stop when the slave trade began and end for these particular countries that a lot of populations in the diaspora were created out of. So that was also a jarring realization that the Africa I had been fed in a narrative growing up, it was different. I got to discover what the place meant for me in modern times and real times for myself as an individual and to take my place in that. So I don't know if that answers your question, but um, I think a lot of that breaking down of labels, breaking down of expectations of what a place should be like or feel like and taking your time and letting your connections to the place um, sort of express to you why you're there and why it's necessary for your journey. So that would be, that would be gone for me. Yeah, that's extremely helpful. So thank you for sharing that yeah. with us, Noelle. Um, so as you know, we are in a series right now talking about health and yeah. you are our first guest where we're focusing on relational health. Um, so we would love to talk to you a little bit about this man that you met in Ghana named Andrew, um, who you've now been dating for over a year, but you went back last month to visit for the first time in over a year, which is so amazing. Um, and you and Andrew model really, really, really well what it means to be in a long distance relationship. But we both know as your friends, it's been very challenging um, so we'd love to learn a little bit more about y'all's relationship as well as the transition of you moving back and embracing and embarking on a long distance relationship. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, so again, for those listening, uh, if you don't know me personally, and this is the first time you're sort of hearing me as a member of Gather, I out of Ghana also came an unexpected relationship, um, full of transparency, my first relationship, serious relationship I've ever been in. Um, and that was also a component to Lauren's last question, you know, that who am I as a black woman in the world coming out of the American context, but belonging to sort of the global black community and seeking healing for different areas of my identity. I think through my relationship with Andrew um, and through a lot of his friends and his community, I found a lot of answers to my questions um, about who I'm supposed to be. I found a lot of validation about some of the struggles and inner you know, triggers, I guess, that I had taken on over the years when it comes to how do I look? Am I beautiful? Do I fit this standard of beauty? Um, but to your question, Morgan, about long distance relationship, it sucks. <laughs> For those listening, if you're in long distance, 
God be with you. It sucks like crap. It is horrible. Um, but it is also incredibly amazing for character development when you are with the right person and you continue to commit over and over and over again to building something with that person. It's not the conventional experience. It will challenge what you think about relationships, how you think they're supposed to function, um, your expectations for communication. And then you're also going to probably discover parts of your own identity, um, mentally, emotionally, things you've been carrying, and even physical sensations of missing that person that you need to learn how to unpack and also package, right? Um, framing and reframing. Why is this happening? What does this mean? How do I overcome it? Every single conversation that you have, every single moment you're alone with yourself, reflecting on why am I in this, right? So that's a fancy way, again, of saying it's complicated. It's hard. Um, but for me personally, and I think for Andrew also, I would, I would be bold to speak for him. I think we've come to a place where we realize it's worth it. And we're making our decision to... Um, for both of us as Christians, we have chosen to put our trust in God. We met in a very unconventional way, and it's a very unconventional time to even be in a long-distance relationship, and yet we are still thriving. So, yeah. And I think on one hand, you know, long-distance is great because it allows for this, like, independence. And so can you talk just a little bit about just sort of what that's looked like for you guys in navigating, okay, there is, a, there is a significant amount of independence, but we also are cultivating an interdependence here in our relationship. So what would you say you've been learning in terms of, of doing those two things? That's great. Um, honestly, when you think of relationship, at least for myself, I think of doing life together. And so having to find a rhythm for you and that person that you've chosen long distance with that doesn't feature that day-to-day -day kind of doing life with each other lifestyle it's messy, it's hard, and you probably will meet, need to make several revisions to how mm -hmm. uh, that happens. Mm -hmm. You need to have that open communication. You know, what does it look like to talk every single day? Uh, as a side note, we tried that for those who might be struggling with uh, making that happen. It's not realistic to talk every day. Um, as you pointed out, Lauren, we are two separate individuals. We do live in two, not only separate time zones, but countries and contexts and continents, right? Land masses. There's an ocean between us. There is life experience and even years between us. He is older than me, you know? And so each of us was given different dreams as well. He's wired to love STEM and computer science and tech. Um, I'm wired to love sort of people, humanities and international affairs. So even in the conversations we have, how are we finding and establishing those points of connection? Um, how are we able to have fruitful conversation when we can't do life together in the few times we do talk? Um, so those are just some of the challenges, but it's imperative. It's imperative to maintain that independence. It's imperative to not lose yourself in the relationship. And that's where I think for this theme that we're talking about, be well, relational health is so important. Um, who are you in your own body and space as you come into this relationship context? You don't lose that independence. You don't lose that individuality, but the best parts of you should be amplified and the worst parts of you should be brought onto the table when time will tell and prove the relationship for you to begin working on. That person becomes complementary and not deconstructing, right? Constructing and not deconstructing. Um, when it starts to become obsessive, you know, checking your phone every five seconds, did they text me? Or they gave me their word, we're going to call it this time, and they didn't, and something happened, right? 
all of those moments can be frustrating as heck and triggering and um, sort of set you back mentally from that pursuit of relational health and relational connection. Um, but nevertheless, again, that independence factor, it's, it's so important. I don't know. Ask me more questions about that because I, I want to dig into that and, and be clear for those listening if that's something you're struggling with. Yeah. Well, I think like I think what you just touched on is really good. I think even in, even in non long distance relationships, I mm-hmm. think we're kind of caught up in the other person so much so that we lose who we are, or we start to forget in pursuit of them. Um, yeah, what we've been called to and who what we've been told about our identity. Yeah. So, how have you maintained that? And when you have lost your way, and you have it has been difficult because by nature of that, like you are, communication is all you guys have. So like you are waiting for him to call you are, there is like a certain amount of expectation put on that communication because you're not just going to like get to see each other at church every, you know? So it's like, how have you learned to maintain identity, to stay rooted in who you are and to, yeah, to continue to function in a really healthy way. That's still very self-aware, you know, while still trying to build, I think, cause I think the other piece of that is like you, are trying to maintain this, but you're also trying to build this possible or see if you yeah. want to build a possible life with someone yeah. else. That's so good, Lauren. Whew, yeah, honestly, full circle. Um, something that here at Gather we're deeply passionate about is community. And I think for me personally, in my relationship experience, I cannot do relationship with a person one-on-one without community to balance me elsewhere. I can't not have friends, women of God, men of God, people that I trust as an individual vessel myself to not speak into my life and circumstance people to, again, as a Christian, pray for me, intercede for me, point out blind spots for me when I am losing my way, when you check in with me and all I have to say is that my relationship is this, my relationship is this, like I am more than my relationship. Mm -hmm. That is so important. And so for me, part of that counteracting is that community piece. I think the other thing is being very in touch with self-reflective activities, speaking of mental, emotional health and physical health, Um, not losing your sense of routine. If you have structure to your life, if you have things that you do on a daily basis, don't stop them, right? You're not surrendering your lifestyle to accommodate completely and wholly this other person. You are your own independent unit. If I go to a CrossFit class, I'm going to go to the CrossFit class. We can call at another time, right? If no other time works, then we start making some adjustments, but you know, hold your boundaries. I think the word there is boundaries. Do you understand what you as an individual need physically? If you're someone who's struggling with quarantine life right now, especially in long distance or any relationship capacity, get outside, take a run, go for a bike ride, go for a walk, get the mail from your mailbox down the street. If you live like me in the suburbs, it's beautiful. You have no business staying inside all day long. Go take a walk. You know, um, if you enjoy journaling, like I do, you know, spend time reflecting on your thoughts. If there's a conversation that you had with your significant other that rubbed you the wrong way, don't just shut off the phone and go off in a huff, like sit down with yourself Mm -hmm. and actually start to unpack some of Mm -hmm. those things. Um, So have those, those practices in place and do not let them go because those are, those are the foundations of your boundaries. Absolutely. Wow. That's so good. So can you tell us a little bit more about navigating the cross-cultural element? Because, you know, 
I feel like sometimes a lot of times things can literally get lost in communication or you just have different ways of saying things. And I don't even know if Andrew's first language is English. Like how does all of that, you know, play into things um, while also like sharing the same skin tone, but you know, he's (laughs) from Ghana, you know, like all of those types of dynamics. um. So there's a lot to unpack here. So y'all bear with me and please, interrupt me if you have like questions or if I'm getting away from the point here, but um, for us and we have friends who are in a similar space, right? I being African-American and him being someone from the continent, specifically the West African region. I think it's so important again, for those listening, if you're in any sort of long distance cross-cultural relationship to treat the person, not as a monolithic representation of where they're coming from. I think for me as a black American, having a very uniform vision of what people from the continent are like. That's what breeds a lot of the stereotypes that do exist in the global black diaspora, right? There is a history of tension for those who are not aware between African-Americans and Africans, right? African immigrants who come to the States and there is friction. There is um, toxicity that does exist. There are generational stereotypes that have cropped up between those communities, those different people groups. Um, Andrew's family background is very interesting because, you know, part of his family is Ghanaian, part of his family is from the Middle East. And so, you know, I had certain expectations when I met him or assumptions about his identity and his sort of lived experience. But here to find out that his family and and a lot of the things that they're aware of and talking about and working through, there's different layers. Um, So, and the same is true for me, you know, the representation of Black Americans, especially Black women as sort of a cultural stereotype that we see in Western media, I don't embody many of those stereotypes. I don't embody the sort of mad black woman, you know, loud black woman, just a lot of these toxic things that, you know, film from abroad can sort of sew into the minds of those who are not common to that culture. So having those conversations is really key. Um, so, so for Andrew, I remember the language question, right? His, so his primary language growing up was English. I mean, one of the local, it's called so the, the particular like language and ethnic group is Akan. The Akan tribe is predominant in, in the Ghanaian region, um, at least where Accra is. Uh, and so, you know, for, for Andrew, he speaks English. Um, we probably would struggle a lot in our communication if that weren't the case. But he does speak tree. He does speak a little Fonti, where his family is from, the coastal region. And... I think the frequency with which he had to speak English and the type of English, I think he was not used to in the same way that there are phrases colloquially in Ghana where I I was like, what does that mean? Or like, it means something different in the U S and those kind of little strange, but beautiful moments where my inner anthropologist celebrates linguistically because they're just different. And when I'm in Ghana, I find myself now when I was there last March, as you guys pointed out, I found myself code switching. I found myself speaking little things in pidgin or being willing to try to put myself out there knowing that I will never be Ghanaian. And I think that's another important part of our relationship. And speaking of maintaining boundaries, you're not trying to become the other person's culture. You're not trying to become something you're not to appease that person or what you think will appease that person. In the same way I say, Andrew, don't try to be American. You're, you're Ghanaian. Celebrate that. In the same way I am American, regardless of what that means to me, I should celebrate that. And what we create is then a blend interculturally in our, in our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So for those who are in sort of that uh, intercultural, inter-ethnic space when it comes to dating and relationships, enjoy it. Mm. Try different foods, have those challenging (laughs) conversations, ask questions, um, and don't lose sight of who you are uh, and why Mm. you are you. Mm. So good. Good word. Yeah. So what would you say? I mean, because I know not only did you find a man's when you were in Ghana, which I prophesied on our carpet. (laughs) The prayer rug. Oh my gosh, we had a prayer rug. Noel and I used to room together and we we had this gross rug. It's so gross. It's literally... It used to be like gray and white. It's like, man, oh, like, no. brown. it's not cute. Oh my um, goodness. But because we would spend so much time praying on it, like in the middle of the night, I'd be like, no, we need mm-hmm. to pray. Right now. I need your help. Wow. Um, and there was, before she went to Ghana, we were living together, and I remember us being on that rug, and I was like, I just I didn't remember that have too. a word for you that I think you're going to meet someone really significant right here. And <laughs> Dude. Like, no. No, no, no. I like this other guy. Anyway, um, that's another story. It's but um, not only did you meet Andrew, you had you have friends that you're maintaining across the continent, across the you know, an ocean, but across two continents. And so what, what would you say in regards to friendship? Because friendship, as we know, and we have a long distance friendship from Texas to New York. Um, that also comes with time differences and communication stuff. And unlike a relationship where it does matter that you're you know, you, you're building like this thing together. You're seeing if romantically they're going to be your partner. Like friendship's a little different. And I think it, yeah. we can even slip more, things can slip more through the cracks with that because there's just less a like, thousand percent. You know what I mean? And so what have yeah. you learned? Not just, you can speak to, you know, relationships that are here in the States too, but what have you learned in terms of maintaining relationships across, you know, long distance relationships with friendships. That's great. Um, I love that. Speaks right to relational health. Part mm-hmm. of relational health is learning the lesson of extending grace. Yeah. Um, I personally don't think it matters what faith or non-faith space we subscribe to, what belief system we subscribe to. I think that extension of grace to people, especially when all of us are going through such a tumultuous, uncertain time. I hate that phrase, these uncertain and challenging times, yeah. but it's so... <laughs> Like if you come answer. through it and what it, yeah. And what it means, like it, it it's truth. Like yeah. Every day brings something new. Every news report, every community is hit by these news reports and statistics and realities very differently, um, especially regarding health. So I think that extension of grace has been key for me. Um, I personally am working on developing community here in Houston, full transparency. I've been away for five years. I was in New York city Um And I threw myself and I lost myself into that identity as being a temporary New Yorker, being a student. Um, And I sort of let go. I did not maintain a sense of relational health with the people here in Houston. I didn't think it was necessary because I thought after graduating, I would stay on the East Coast for work, for school, for my life. And, you know, God had a different plan for me. And I think spending the past year in quarantine, um, my mom's a single parent. I don't have siblings. I don't have cousins. I'm particularly close to relationally or geographically. So I think it was very isolating and it was so easy in that quiet space when you're not surrounded by the loudness of the city and the proximity of friends and campus life to forget how much you matter to people, to abide in a place where you can justify and rationalize, oh, like this person didn't text me when I thought they did or they forgot about me or you just start you just start validating your own invalidation, right? Toxic. 
um, and ultimately harmful for the people that do love you, but life is happening to them too. Um, so I would say, you know, if you're in a similar space like myself, it hasn't changed. Ghana was a little bright spot in the storm that I've been in. Um, God brought the provision and the safety protocols that were necessary for me to go and return safely. And no one in my circle was impacted by COVID by the grace of God. But the season continues um, of long distance relationship management. Being honest with your friends, I think, is the second of three that I'll point out. Be honest with where you're at. Be honest with your friends. Don't ice them out. You know, if you were frustrated that they said they would call you and they missed it, like be authentic. Be like, hey, man, that sucked. Like, I, I want to trust that when we set aside a time, we're both going to highly value it. Or if something happens, you'll let me know. Right. Like, don't hold their feet to the fire, but don't don't deny them that opportunity to grow and be aware of what might become a bad habit. Right. And the same applies for me. And I think the third and final piece of this, Lauren and, and Morgan, is just um, make an effort. You know, somebody close the gap. Somebody make an effort to cross the distance. It's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require your resources going towards something maybe you didn't foresee. Now, that doesn't mean you string yourself out to dry and treat your own finances and circumstance like a doormat and say, oh, like, I just have to make it happen. I have to do life with people. So even if I'm like, no. Use discernment. If you can't swing it this month, that's okay. If you don't have enough air miles, you know, you need them for something else, be honest. But somebody close the distance. Somebody show that act of love and intentionality. Um, get creative if you can't. Send letters, you know, send video and voice notes, right? So I think those are some of the lessons that I feel I've, I've learned from having to manage long distance friendships in a season like this. Yeah. So... Noelle, as you know, we have been in a series this month focused on wellness, um, and we would love to hear a little bit about how um, this life period of being in a long-distance relationship and having cross-cultural and faraway friendships, even with me and Lauren, um, how that has both contributed to and then at times challenged your Mm, personal wellness. Um, I'll start with a challenge. Challenge because social media sucks when it's used improperly. And for y'all who have been where I've been, it's so easy to look at everyone's posts and stories and status updates and be like, wow, I wish I had their life. Um, God, why does it feel like you're putting me on the bench and disqualifying me from having friends around to just say, hey, let's pack up the car and go upstate and do this. Or, hey, like, I just want to get brunch with you or coffee. Like, you might be in a season where that's not available to you. And you're going to have to get creative and innovative and be humble about that reality, but still find joy, you know. Still don't hold that against your friends because they have something that you crave and you desire that maybe you're meant to learn and steward another thing, another opportunity um, and another means of connection that season. Um, So I think that's definitely something that uh, relates to that question, Morgan. Um, I don't know, like relational health is it's hard to maintain because relationships in any capacity are so personal. You're letting these other like I'm sorry, but it's true, broken. And, you know, people with so many issues and challenges and, and things happening to them, you're letting them into your emotional space, into your mental space. And sometimes there are going to be plenty of ouch moments. Depending on what kind of authenticity you're abiding in, do you feel that you can call those things out in that person? Is it something where years can pass or months can pass? And then finally you say this to someone, but is that honoring them, right? That you're holding that, withholding that truth from them, right? And you're trying to build that relationship and you're feeling one way towards someone and then it comes out later 
And so what do you do when your trust is broken and you're not right next to the person? You can't, you know, verbally or physically reaffirm them. Um, so it really, there's just something unique about, about the experience of long distance friendships and relationships. There's something that's unique in the call for you to do what you need to do to make sure that you're well. Again, I referenced earlier, take a run, take five, step away from your computer, stop trying to make things happen with a limited capacity. You're human. You're going to break down. You're going to burn out. You're going to have your phone blowing up. You know, when you're complaining, no one texts you. Then all of a sudden you reach out to all these people and then they, you know, get back to you. And because you're human, you're then not going to want to feel like (laughs) responding right then and there. Right. Because maybe life happened to you. So the cycle continues. Right. Manage yourself in order to best manage every other connection you have in your life. Even if it's your pet, take a nap, right? <laughs> if you're oversaturated um, with responsibilities, because again, why are we imposing these expectations on the people we love when distance is a factor if we can't ourselves carry that same standard out in full? Um, so yeah, Morgan, um, for the sake of wellness, um, ladies listening, and even if a few gentlemen are listening, um, be, be honest with yourself, um, extend grace to yourself, um, find in the season of, of temporary, I want to believe temporary separation from the people you love and doing life next to them. Find what makes you experience joy. Um, find what grounds you. If it's faith, lean into it and don't stop reaching out to people. Lauren would always tell me in those seasons, you feel isolated and lonely. The last thing and the worst thing you should do is like shut the world out right? Be that person who begin again, be the first to reach out. Does it feel like crap sometimes? Yes. Do you wish people would initiate sometimes? Yes. A thousand percent, but don't stop. Yeah. Um, Don't be afraid to pursue what you ultimately know you need. And that is fellowship and connection. So good. So good, Noelle. Thank you. Well, Noelle, thank you for joining us today. Thanks guys. To all our listeners, thank you once again for tuning in. We hope you feel loved and encouraged by today's content. Be sure to stay tuned for more exciting updates and our Gather news on our Instagram at Girls Who Gather, as well as our website, www.thegirlswhogather.com. Also, remember to share and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Be on the lookout for season updates, announcements, merch, media, meetups, and more. There is always something for you to be involved in and a place to belong. You are so loved. Until next time, bye Gather Girls!